Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Well, I remember being outraged back in 1999 when I, I read a news headline that said that under the Taliban, Afghani women, among all the other human rights abuses they endured, were now being restricted from health care. The rationale was that they would have personal contact with male physicians and other providers, and contact with a male was now a no-no. Well, they could see a female physician, but there weren't nearly any female physicians because under the Taliban, women couldn't get an education. And we've all heard of the repression there. It's, it's dreadful and it's ongoing. You've seen Afghani women imprisoned in what looks to us like body bags for the living. You know, those faceless blue burqas with only a mesh over the eyes to peek out from. And under the Taliban regime, women were kept from sight. They were prisoners of their own homes, where the windows were even painted black to keep them hidden. Now, back then, 99, a burqa cost $9 more than the average man's monthly salary in Kabul. So poorer women could never move about in public, and they cost more now. Women there could wear no shoes that made noise so that they would remain unheard, hidden by blue burqas, unseen, unheard. Now, just some quick history. Following the departure of the Soviets in 1992, a civil war erupted. In November of 1994, the Taliban emerged, and the name Taliban means Students of Muslim Religious Studies in Arabic. And the group had been composed of poorly educated youths recruited from the Afghan refugee population in refugee camps and religious schools in neighboring Pakistan. And the Taliban promulgated an extensive set of rules and control in many aspects of Afghan life and society. Punishments by the religious police were harsh. And the view there has been, girls are not important, they do not count. And to be fair, these rules are based on a singular view of Islamic law, widely disputed by Islamic scholars, yet in so many parts of the world, Muslim and otherwise, women remain oppressed. Well, we in the West think we're so much more enlightened and progressive, and to be fair, we mostly are, but it wasn't so long ago that women in most churches were told to be silent, or that their purpose was to support their husbands so he could be the man God called him to be. You know, a woman's place was to be a prop in someone else's story. And sadly, this continues in some conservative Christian circles. On June 18th, not just recently, um, the Southern Baptists 
uh, the church, the denomination dis disfellowshipped two congregations with women pastors. And women still bring home lower pay than men for the same jobs. In 2022, women made 82% of what men made in the same positions. But it's not just women who feel unseen or unheard in life. Women, children, and men here and elsewhere in the world may have found themselves in the margins of life, wondering if they count, wondering if they would ever get any respect, wondering if they would ever be able to live in freedom and dignity. We see them when my, my little Scottsdale church used to go and serve a meal at UMOM, the United Methodist um, Outreach Mission. We see these people on the streets. We especially, um, in our denomination, listen to the stories of those who are not straight or gender conforming, and we hear sometimes how they have felt often unseen or unheard by God and others. We hear the stories of people who enjoy few privileges, our veterans, come back from war physically and emotionally battered, or feeling unseen and unheard. Around 20 U.S. veterans die by suicide every day. We read about all the victims of sex trafficking in the news and uh, of modern-day slaveries. Uh, and there's so many people in the margins. Perhaps we, maybe we don't see them day to day from our own locales, so many in this world wonder if God sees them at all, if God cares at all. And maybe there's been a time in your lives that you have felt unseen by God, maybe during one of life's storms, during a surgery and an illness, a divorce, a failure, a death. But we remember what we feel is not always representative of God's larger reality or an indication of God's loving care for us because we often can't see what's just beyond the veil. Hagar's story in our Genesis text may address this feeling of being unseen or unheard by God and give us all hope. Hagar is part of Abraham and Sarah's story. Well, Sarah herself lived in the margins as a woman in a patriarchal culture, and she had been a barren woman at that. In those times, a woman's lone value rested on her ability to produce sons. It was only when Sarah turned 90 that she gave birth to Isaac, the son of promise, through miraculous means. But in the meantime, in Sarah's impatience, things became so messy. In the ancient Near East, polygamy was a legitimate way to prevent childlessness. And remember, from a biological standpoint, polygamy often worked. However, the human dynamics within a polygamous family were predictably disastrous. The Bible is filled with such stories. Wealthier wives, like Sarah, could demand surrogate motherhood of their slave girls. In that 
culture, a child born of such a union legally belonged to the barren wife. In Sarah's mind, Hagar seemed an ideal way to fulfill God's latest promise to Abraham, a son coming from your own body will be your heir, the scripture tells us. So Hagar became Sarah's last-ditch effort to salvage her honor as a woman and maintain a foothold in God's promises. Well, tragically, Abraham consented to Sarah's plan, and Hagar became the disposable pawn in the scheme. And the outcome was a disaster for Sarah, who actually spread her own pain to others. And one could argue that the pain kept on spreading, as Hagar is the mother of Ishmael, the ancestor of the Arab peoples, who have likely felt pains at Judeo-Christian hands of something like illegitimacy ever since. Our text today uh, tells us in the most unemotional terms that Sarah had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar. We often read that so matter-of-factly. She had a slave girl. Hagar was a slave. If Sarah was marginalized as a woman, and a barren one at that in that patriarchal culture, what did that suggest of Hagar? While sharing the disadvantages of being a woman with, her, with Sarah in the patriarchal culture, Hagar, though, was far more vulnerable. She was an Egyptian, a Gentile, a foreigner, an outsider. Her gender and race alone were enough to complicate her life. But these were minor compared to her social status as a slave. We don't know about her previous life, but she was probably one of the gifts that Pharaoh gave Abraham after that episode in Egypt, when Pharaoh gave him, as it says in Genesis 12, 16, sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants, and camels. Can you imagine she was part of a line of sheep and cattle and donkeys and camels and other slaves? What horror would it have been to head to the auction block, wrenched from the people you know and love, degraded and being lined up with animals and placed in the hands of a stranger? Like the slaves in America's history, Hagar was an African slave. Maybe she, too, was torn away from her weeping mother's arms. She was cut off from family and friends and her country, and even from her private history, and faced a life of catering to the biddings of others, caring for the wealthy, serving their whims. As property, she was even made to be a surrogate, having no rights over her own body. And then, when she conceived Ishmael, she exalted herself over Sarah in that one brief moment of triumph. And then Sarah exploded with years of bottled-up outrage and pain and became horribly abusive to Hagar, so much so that the young girl feared for her life and she ran away. And here's where things get really interesting. Hagar fled to the wilderness in the general direction of Egypt. And the text tells us that the angel of the Lord found her. 
by a spring of water in the wilderness. Like the rejected Samaritan woman of John 4 who found her life when she encountered Jesus at Jacob's well, Hagar finds her life and God's purpose for her in that spring. Water, river of life, the day spring, the well spring, these are all so symbolic in our faith. Historically, the church has always held that these Hebrew Bible appearances of the angel of the Lord were actually pre-incarnate appearances of the Son of God. And usually in these encounters, a person didn't first realize who they were actually seeing. Remember, Jesus wasn't always, he was often misrecognized during his post-resurrection experiences as well. Now, you may wish that this were a Cinderella rags to riches story where the angel would deliver Hagar from her awful situation, make her a pumpkin carriage, and lead her to the handsome prince. You might be troubled by the angel's command to Hagar to return to Sarah. Well, let me be clear here. Know that this story should never be interpreted as a reason for anyone to go back to an abusive situation. The specifics of this case are unusual, and God's purposes here in the big picture are redemptive. But when you think about it now, that Hagar has encountered the living God, she, a Gentile, needs to go back and grow in her faith among the people whom God has already contacted. And in a way, it's like being part of a church where sometimes there are relational difficulties if not downright pain. Abraham and Sarah are best equipped to help her learn more about this God. And from them, she would hear all about the promises and, and learn the same teachings Abraham would pass on to Ishmael. She would witness the birth of Isaac, the child of promise. And Hagar would also teach Abraham and Sarah about her encounter with the Lord as well and how God sees all of us. The lesson is that faith is risky sometimes. It can sometimes lead to crosses, but ultimately one day to resurrection. Now let me get to the greatest part about Hagar's story, radical inclusivity. The angel's encounter with Hagar gives an early hint of Paul's words to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, verse 38, that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Hagar's story is one of radical inclusivity. And right here is the best news for all of us in Hagar's story. Here we have someone woefully in the margins, pregnant, afflicted, humiliated, frightened, and alone, a Gentile, a slave, a woman, abused and rejected. But to the angel of the Lord, she was God's image bearer with great value dignity, and purpose. She mattered deeply to God. And this is the take-home message for you today in a nutshell. No one is outside of God's plan. None of the earth's peoples are outside of God's plan. You, you're not outside. and That's the gospel. That's the gospel that we come here to hear. 
Uh, and that is your take-home message today. The text tells us that the angel of the Lord found Hagar. That terror that had driven her out into the wilderness also, also drove her into the safe arms of an angel. And it's okay to think here of Sarah McLaughlin's song right now, In the Arms of an Angel. This angel addresses her by name, unlike Abraham and Sarah, who only ever called her the slave woman. And this angel knew everything about her and her son's future, and what's even more is that this is the first record of a woman, a Gentile, a slave, receiving God's promises. It wasn't only the male Abraham. God found Hagar. God saw her, even when humans in her culture and circumstances did not. God sees us even in the middle of life's worst storms. Hagar, too, would have a multitude of offspring, and she would bear a son whose name would be Ishmael. The Lord already knew how he would be, as the, the scriptures say later, a wild ass of a man with his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and all about his coming relational difficulties. But God was Ishmael's, and his descendants God, too. And that's a story for another day. But then most curious, here we have the first re record ever of a human being naming God. She, a woman, named this angel of the Lord El Roy, which means the God who sees me. The implications for every human being on this planet are profound. God sees all of us in all of our circumstances, in all of our pain. Well, let me finish the story. After Isaac is born, Sarah can't bear the sight of Ishmael. And one day when Ishmael and Isaac are playing, Sarah demands that Abraham, and, that Abraham cast Hagar and Ishmael out. Sarah wanted there to be no competition between them for the inheritance. The inheritance, And while Abraham is distressed, he goes along with Sarah, just as Adam went along with Eve. And God assures Abraham that God will also make a nation out of Ishmael, because he is also Abraham's offspring. Now, I still have discomfort with this story as God goes along with the seemingly weak Abraham here, yet ultimately, Hagar is provided for. Her and Ishmael's life goes on. Hagar and Ishmael run out of water in the wilderness, and Hagar puts Ishmael under a bush and, and then wanders away because she can't bear to see him die. And in her distress, God hears Ishmael, and God hears her. And the angel calls to Hagar, What troubles you? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of your boy. Lift him up, for I will make a great nation of him. And then she opens her eyes, and she sees the well of water. It was there all along. They drank. They live. Ishmael and his mother go on to live in the wilderness of Paran, which is the area of Mecca, near the area of Mecca today. Hagar got him an Egyptian wife. Their lives went on. 
And most importantly, we are told God was with the boy. Just as God is with all of us, even when our culture and circumstances push us into the margins, into the wilderness, and we are made to feel at times unseen, God sees the burqa-clad Afghani woman, even when she can barely see through that small bit of mesh over her eyes. God sees the slaves. God sees the divorcee, the cancer patient, the addict, the immigrant, the woman, the man, the prisoner, the homeless, the abused. God, Elroy, sees and saves and finds us. The well, you see, has been there all along. Can we grasp just how much we and everyone else are included in God's plan? And then, as God's imagers, can we show that well to those who don't see it? May we receive comfort and act on this challenge today. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.